straight out of Scotland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of St. Andrews. Today's episode is a science episode. Oh, I love science. What makes a particular individual a human? One answer might be that a human is a biological organism with a particular kind of DNA. It is the sort of thing that lives, grows old, and dies. Well, but this raises further questions. What is DNA? And what is the relationship between DNA, aging, and death? In today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Jamie Carrington to discuss DNA replication and different ways to achieve immortality. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Ready or not, here's Jamie and I talking about DNA. Enjoy. All right, so so Jamie, like you do stuff on DNA, and I have some sort of vague idea of what DNA is, you know. Uh, so like, because the idea of DNA, it's, it's really made its way in the popular culture. I mean, so for instance, my shampoo bottle tells me that DNA is really good for my hair. I mean, I don't know why it's good for my hair, but I just assume my DNA, uh, you know, it's good for it. Like my shampoo bottle is trustworthy when it's saying these things. God, you know, because maybe shampoo bottles are trustworthy sources of information. All right. Uh, and then also in America, like it's a really popular Christmas gift or a birthday gift to give someone a DNA testing kit so they can you know, like try to look into their ancestry. Yeah. So it's it's really like it really worked its way into the culture. But despite all of that, I really do find myself at a loss to even know what DNA is. I know it's in my body. I don't know what it's doing there, but I know yep. it's there. So so help me out here. What exactly is DNA, and what is it doing in my body? So DNA is the full instruction set Mm. that is contained within each and every single cell in your body and the cell reads the instructions in the dna and creates a whole series of products that helps the cell do what it does it's a polymer molecule so it's made up of a series of repeating units and each unit subtly differs and that is the differences is what the information is so on a computer's hard drive, you will have a series of zeros and ones. Right. And these will contain the instructions to run a program. In a in a, in the cell uh, of an organism, the instead of zeros and ones, you have A's, T's, G's, and C's. Okay. And these are the names of the molecules that make up the polymer. The details of those aren't important. It's sure. just the differences between them that matters. And these form these instructional sets known as genes. And you can think of a gene like the file on a computer. And each gene encodes the information required to make a protein. And it's the proteins that are the functional units within each cell. Okay, so these that's what's going on in my body. So these, these genes, like, they're fundamental building blocks sort of, of of what makes my body my body. And they create these proteins that then do all sorts of other things within my body. Yeah. Because that's the big idea. Okay, so from what it sounds like then, it, it sounds like DNA is very important for my biological makeup. Yeah. Right, okay. So, well, so for example, yeah. you have genes that dictate the color of your hair, mm, the color okay. of your eyes, partly your height, That although that can be dependent on your diet. So there's also this interplay between environment and, and uh, the, the genetic makeup that, sure. that you contain. But yeah, it, it's very influential. Okay, so so there's other factors like like so like you said like my environment, but yeah. this but the genes they're doing a lot of work too. Yeah, right. Okay, so that does make up a big part of who, who I am, at least my biological makeup. Yeah. Okay, so I've got this worry though, like my body's constantly changing, and my cells they're always like replicating and dying off. 
So, well, well, I guess I, I, I've kind of, kind of worried about how, in the midst of all this change, how is my DNA getting passed on without changing itself? So there's this process known as DNA replication, mm. and this is very necessary before a cell divides. So we all started off as a, a single cell, okay. and as human beings, we are now in the order of tens of trillions of cells. Wow, okay. And so that requires a lot of uh, divisions and proliferation. And cells divide by binary fission, as it's known. So okay. what this basically means is one cell splits into two. And it does this over and over and over again until you have tens of trillions of cells. And so each cell, it's absolutely necessary that each cell contains the DNA or the genome, the full instructional set, to survive. And so that means before each cell division, you need to copy the DNA so that each cell after the split inherits the DNA. And this was beautifully demonstrated by a British scientist called John Gurdon uh, in Cambridge. He was awarded the Nobel Prize a couple of years ago. And what he showed is that if you destroy the DNA in a frog's egg cell and replace it with the DNA from the skin cell of the same organism, that egg cell can still grow on and make a fully viable adult frog. Oh, wow. Okay. So this indicates that each and every cell, even if its role is very modest, mm -hmm can still uh, still contains all of the information required for the whole organism to function. Okay, so so you talked a bit about this replication here. I mean, so how often does a DNA replicate and like and how long does it take for it to replicate? This is a bit of a difficult question because mm. saying uh, this uh, this varies massively across organisms and within multicellular organisms like anything that you can see, the the cells with their different roles will have uh, vastly different uh, timings. But in general, the rule of thumb with human cells in lab conditions is that they divide roughly once every 24 hours. Oh. And this means that you must replicate the DNA uh, once every 24 hours. And it's quite a long process. It takes usually about eight hours. So that means if you're just looking at a whole population of cells, all growing and dividing and so on, at any given time, about a third of them are replicating their DNA. Okay, so just to be clear then, so when I'm looking at my own body, I mean, that, like, that means my DNA is replicating right now. It absolutely is, um, and, and uh, it's a good thing it is too. Okay. Because um, uh, as it turns out, one of the main mechanisms by which cancer chemotherapeutics works is by blocking DNA replication because uh, it's a great way of uh, making cells stop growing. And this is what you want to do to tumors. Right. And when people are treated with these drugs, it, it often kills the tumor, but it also makes the patient very sick and so it is very necessary that our cells are ticking over all the time uh, reproducing dividing growing proliferating replacing damaged tissue replacing uh, aged tissue and things like this so absolutely however the vast majority of your cells are known as somatic cells so okay. these have grown and specialized say the skin cells neuronal mm -hmm. cells things like this they have become so specialized that they actually have stopped dividing and they've stopped growing. Uh, the real activity in your body is going on in what are known as stem cells. Okay. So these are populations of cells that renew the tissue that they are a part of. So deep underneath your skin, you'll have skin stem cells mm -hmm. that are ticking over uh, throughout your entire life and replacing kind of like in a conveyor belt system, the, the, your, the layers of your skin. Okay, so some of my cells are not really replicating that much. Others are replicating quite a bit. Is exactly. That, that's right. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so so we've talked a lot about this replication, and so there, it sounds like there's a fair bit of replication going on within my body. Yep. Right. So I guess I've got another worry here, though. It seems with 
with at least with some of my cells, since they're replicating quite a lot from what you've said, yep. I'm worried about some possible mistakes that might occur in sure. that process. So can errors occur during this DNA replication? So indeed, it absolutely is an error-prone process. Okay. Uh, in uh, It's absolutely an error-prone process, but there's a lot of redundancy built in. Mm. So for example, within our genome, only about 1% of the DNA is required to encode the information required to make proteins. So only about 1% of our genome actually contains genes. The oh. rest is all there for various reasons, such as uh, transposons and viruses inserting their own genomes in there. So these, these bits of DNA are generally useless, mm. often called junk DNA. Right, I've heard of this before. Right. So if mutations occur in those areas, it's not actually that consequential. Okay, so, if, so something in my junk DNA gets screwed up yeah no big deal yeah but there's other parts of me though well other parts of my dna strand or if that gets screwed up that is a big deal but Indeed. it's a small percentage of my dna strand exactly yeah okay and then there's redundancy with the way that the dna is encoded and there is um uh, so so I should probably introduce so there's two ways in which uh there's sorry there's several ways in hmm. which there can be errors in dna replication so the machinery that copies the dna uh, much like duplicating a file on a computer, mm -hmm. is responsible for making sure all of those ATs, GCs are reproduced in exactly the same order. Okay, good. Mistakes can be made at that level. Mm. You could copy a thousand, thousands and thousands of those ATs, Gs and Cs, but every now and then it, there'll be a C instead of a G or oh, something wow. like this. And so the, there are those kinds of mistakes, but then there are also much more kind of uh, higher level mistakes. So the machinery that that's meant to do the copying, that can just break down entirely. And so uh, rather than a small mistake being introduced into the copied file on your computer, just the copy function just stops working. Oh gosh, And okay. so if there are certain files on your computer that just no longer get copied, then the, inf the large chunks of information can be lost there. Wow, okay, so... I guess I'm trying to, so I'm a bit worried about this information loss now. Yeah. So uh, is there any information loss? How much information loss is taking place during replication? So that's a, that's a hard, that's very hard to quantify. Sure. Um, so uh, for example, one of the things that I studied during my PhD mm -hmm. was uh, a phenomenon that we've called under replication. Oh, okay. So typically in textbooks, DNA replication, you're told that one copy of the genome is made into two. That's the usual typical thing. Okay. But in fact, with under-replication, there's this idea that if you have a particularly large genomes, and human in human cells do have particularly large genomes, you there is this quite uh, likely occurrence where the machineries required to copy all of the DNA just won't function uh, across the genome evenly. Mm -hmm. And so you get these sections of DNA that are just not replicated. Mm. And there are mechanisms in place to try and rescue this, but we estimate that many, many thousands of base pairs or, or those individuals, ACs and Gs and Cs are lost. And if they are lost in the middle or entirely around a gene, then the, the new daughter cells, the, the cells that have split into two, mm -hmm. one of those or both of those will just not receive the uh, gene that's been lost. Oh, okay. And so now you have cells that just don't contain the full package of information. And sometimes that's okay. Uh, sometimes the cell will be able to figure out that it's not functioning correctly mm -hmm. and go through programmed cell death or apoptosis. Right. Sometimes that might form a tumor. That's the real bad scenario where it's uh, it grows in a uh, completely dysregulated manner. 
Okay. So like you said, there's this junk DNA. Yep. Uh, so any sort of loss of information there, not really a big deal. Yep. But other areas I could have some really severe consequences like yep. like tumors. Yep. Okay, so from what I understand, though, like some of these losses, though, they, they pertain to my aging. Is, yes. that, is that correct? So, what, so tell me a bit about this. So there's a phenomenon known as the end replication problem. Okay. So it's quite complicated and requ- would require diagrams and so on. Sure. But general principle is, is that due to the nature of the DNA and the machinery that copies it, the very ends of the, of the strands of DNA can't be copied. Mm. So if your strand of DNA is like the alphabet, A, A through Z, mm-hmm. just imagine that every time you write this down again, you just can't write the A and you can't write the Z. Okay. And then the next time you copy it, you can't write the A or the B or the Y or the Z. And so every time, cumulatively, mm-hmm. the, the ends of the DNA are getting chewed away. And obviously this is disastrous if the information is important. And there are a number of ways that cells have gotten around this. So bacteria, for example, have circular genomes. And so, of course, there's no end here. And so when they're replicated, there's no end replication problem because there are no ends. Mm -hmm. However, most uh, eukaryotes, so these are um, basically any organism that's not bacteria, uh, in which we're included, as are fungi, plants, um, lizards, birds, all of these things. Okay, so this is something I have in common with lots of different things on Earth. Yes. Okay. They all have linear chromosomes and this seems to be associated with more sophisticated organisms but they have a weakness linear chromosomes and that is that they have these ends okay so i want to make sure i'm following so you said like if they're circular then you don't have this end problem because there's nothing to be shortened there's not ends but myself plants lots of other things on this earth they have linear DNA, and yep. so each time they're replicated, they lose a bit from either end of the of, yep. the of the line. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And so the way that they, the way that these organisms have protected against this is by having these regions of DNA at each end called telomeres. Okay. They are just like the rest of the DNA, so they're still composed of A's, T's, G's, and C's, mm-hmm. but the cells can tolerate their loss. And so these can be chewed away, and, and that's fine, because they don't actually contain any important information. So they're kind of like the bumpers on a car. Hmm. You can crash the car, the bumper can protect most of the car from the damage, but you might have to replace the bumper, but that's okay, because the bumper's not valuable, it's just, you know. So you can have these telomeres, and these are just these repetitive segments of DNA. So you could almost think it's just like a zero one zero one zero one just on mm-hmm. each end. And they are there for the purpose of being chewed away. And so uh, if the cell loses those, it's not directly a disaster. Okay, so these telomeres, do they, do they protect me in the aging process to some extent? So there's two kinds of aging that we can talk about okay. here, and it's important to tease these apart. So there's something associated with what's known as the Hayflick limit, and then there's aging as in the animal. Okay. So um, we kind of have to talk at two different scales. Sure, okay, here. so tell, tell me about each. So the Hayflick limit describes how if you take a, a normal cell, so like cells from a cheek swab, and you give them the best environment that they could possibly have, all the food and nutrition that they could possibly want, they will only desi- divide a certain number of times, and then they'll just stop growing, and no matter how comfortable you might make them. And this is the, this is the Hayflick limit. So the DNA in these cells have replicated, and the cells are divided, and the DNA is being replicated, and on and on in that cycle. And eventually the telomeres are, are just being slowly lost. Hmm. And at a point, they are entirely lost, and the cell can start detecting this. 
uh, due to damage to to the important parts of the genome. Oh, okay. And they program uh, senescence, as it's called, and uh, they stop dividing. So that's that's a form of aging, but at the cellular level. So the cell stops dividing once it detects that, oh gosh, I've lost all my telomeres. Exactly, yeah. Okay. At the organismal level. Okay. Uh, so you mean like my entire body? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. There is a different kind of aging, right? Like we grow old, we become wrinkly, our hair goes gray, all right. that stuff. And this is a this is associated with te- shortened telomeres. Mm. So when you are 80 and you try to measure your telomeres, they will likely be shorter than they are now. But it is actually not clear. It's still a contentious issue as to whether the shortened telomeres have been caused by the aging or they are causing the aging. Oh, okay. So it's a it's a correlation consequence problem. Okay. And there are some evidence that it's one way, and there's uh, strong evidence that it's the other way. So it's quite it's it's not being teased apart. It seems to be tissue specific, mm-hmm. organism specific. For example, Dolly the sheep here, the mm-hmm. first animal cloned from an adult cell uh, here in Edinburgh. It was cloned from an adult cell that was six years old. Dolly the sheep died prematurely at mm-hmm. the age of six. Oh. And sheep normally live to 12. Okay. And what Dolly died of was diseases associated with old sheep. So oh, arthritis okay. and uh, lung issues that are apparently common in sheep. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, is that, uh, and they, when they did the autopsy, they found that uh, Dolly's telomeres were short. So she looked like she was older than she really was. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And the idea is, although it's not been formally proven, the, mm-hmm. the, the idea is, is that the cell that it was cloned from was already six years old. It then, they made Dolly the sheep from this cell. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then Dolly the sheep lived for six years. Six plus six is 12. Sheep right. normally live for about 12 years. So, so it's sort of like our genetic s- material was already six years old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so there is this concept of telomeres being related to aging. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is we can't just solve this by, by somehow making the telomeres self-renewing. Right. Okay, because that was what I was going to ask next. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, if telomeres, if I'm losing them, that's what's yeah. making me older. Yeah. Well, can't you just add to my telomeres and so I could live forever? Like, I mean, because I would like that. Sure. Right. So, so there is there is an enzyme that does this called telomerase. Okay. So, um, it can extend the telomeres, and if you if it is active enough, it can do this at a much faster rate than they're lost. Hmm. And this actually is critical for uh, in what are known as your germline cells. So these are the cells that go on to form either uh, sperm if you're a male or eggs if you're a female. And uh, these are obviously critical because this is the, the lineage that keeps a species going in ideal conditions indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And so they do require telomerase because it will, keep, it will maintain the integrity of the DNA. Telomerase becomes less important once an organism starts to grow around the germ cells because mm. the purpose of the organism is to pass on the germ cells to the next generation. It's not so necessary for the, the somatic cells, the non-germ cells, to be immortal. What's important that's immortal is the germ cells. Okay. Because that keeps the species going. Right. However, most of the rest of your body, there's very little telomerase activity. The stem cells that I mentioned before, these cells that tick over and renew your tissues, um, these have some form of telomerase activity, so they can keep dividing uh, without risking too much damage, but even they will start to age. And people think it's the telomere shortening in the stem cells that's critical for aging. 
and this might be why you grow old and wrinkly and, and gray hair mm. and so on. So it wouldn't just be a matter of just adding some more telomeres to any old cell. Like it'd have to be certain specific ones. Yeah. So uh, it so happens that in my current work, I am using a cell line that has been immortalized uh, mm. with by expressing human telomerase. Oh, wow. And so that's all very well for the cells, right? Mm-hmm. Because they, they, they're in this dish. They one cell becomes two and you do that over and over and over again and I study them and I keep them going and all of this stuff and that's all very well. Problem is, is they don't have to be organized. In in a multicellular organism like us or anything mm-hmm. else that you can see, and uh, any animal that you can see, the tissues have to be highly organized and so the growth has to be highly restrained. You, you, your kidney, your brain, uh, all organs like this, your skin, these are all highly complicated structures. And you can't have some cells just growing willy-nilly mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, whilst the other cells are trying to get on with their business. That's actually, uh, as it turns out, that's essentially what cancer is, is cells that are growing in an unrestrained manner. Right. Okay. And that, that causes huge disorganization within the tissue and, and can, uh, unfortunately can often lead to death. And so that's why it's so important to treat. So mm-hmm. expressing telomerase at a higher level across your entire body is not a good idea. We've people have experimented on mice and have done this, mm-hmm. and the mice turned out to live no longer because they were highly cancer prone. Wow. Okay. For example. So okay. So this does not sound. So just adding more telomeres to me doesn't sound like a good way to get immortality. Unfortunately, not. Okay. So that, I find that distressing. <laughs> uh, but okay. So so since this is not a good way to achieve immortality, I guess I'm I'm kind of curious about other ways you might try to achieve immortality. So if the problem is that my DNA is just shrinking, then, I mean, maybe I might think, why don't I just get rid of my biological organism altogether? Just get rid of my body, because I don't, yeah. you know. Uh, so what do you think about the idea of some other options, maybe maybe like downloading my consciousness onto a computer? Do you think that might be a way to achieve immortality? Well, I mean, this is a, this is a really big question. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's worth pointing out before I go into that, that this, sure. there, there is a slight ego problem here, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I already explained that the germline is immortal or Mm -hmm. has the at least has the potential to be immortal right and we are just the vessel that is responsible for passing it on right so this idea that i i must become immortal Mm -hmm. i wish to become immortal this means that we are now more important than our germline sure and this is uh you know that so there's an ego thing going on i mean i guess i'm I'm happy to just own that and be like (laughs) i'm definitely more important than my germline right sure sure Mm -hmm. yeah no that's that's definitely uh one way to look at it Mm -hmm. But um, my personal opinion about uh, being able to upload our consciousnesses to a computer or, or something like this, mm-hmm. I, I, so I'm what would be called a non-dualist mm-hmm. uh, in this sense. So I believe that uh, the brain is it. So mm-hmm. uh, whatever we experience, no matter how profound or ha- no matter how hard to explain, can eventually come back to the sum activity of uh, what's going on in your brain. Mm -hmm. So our brain is made up of these neuronal cells. They are all connected in in all sorts of different complicated ways. They have these different chemical and electrical activities. And uh, although we find it very hard to understand what's going on there, if we could have a omnipotent understanding of what's going on in our neuronal cells, I think that this could explain everything that we experience, our consciousness and uh, profound moments and things Mm -hmm. like this. So to be consistent with this, I have to believe that we can upload our consciousness to a computer. We just need to find a way to encode it into zeros and ones, for example, mm-hmm. if, if if in 100 years time, we're still using that sort of binary uh, 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 code. 
But um, yeah, so if we can model the activity of a single neuron, it passes a signal on from A to B, then eventually we should be able to model or simulate uh, what all the neurons are doing together. Problem is, is that the human brain is one of the most complex structures that are in the known universe. And so the computer that does this would have to be, uh, I mean, unimaginably powerful. I would think, I would yeah. hope, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think if one can somehow do this, then I have to imagine, uh, just to be consistent with the other things I mm -hmm. believe, that uh, one would be conscious, uh, this thing would be conscious within the uh, simulated space. So I want to make sure I'm following. So, so you said that you're so you're non-dualist, and so you think that the brain is it. Yeah. Does that mean you think that you're identical to your brain? Because if that's the case, then it, I certainly could not upload my consciousness. Because if I'm identical to my brain, then wherever my brain goes, I go. Yeah. So I'd have to be in some sense not quite identical to my brain if I'm yeah. going to upload myself in my consciousness. So that's the thing. If I had a if I had a magical copying machine that mm -hmm. could just copy all of your atoms in exactly the same way that they're structured now, and mm -hmm. just put you next to you in this room, would you be seeing out of two pairs of eyes? Or would you be thinking two thoughts in two different brains? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or would they would they be as if they were twins and and you would have your own brain and they'd have their own brain? I I couldn't answer that question. Fair enough. In the, in the case of the uh, brain being uploaded to the computer, if the lights go out as you're being uploaded mm -hmm. in your biological body, and then the lights come back on in the computer body, then would you now be experiencing the world from two different perspectives or would would you would the lights just go out as far as you're aware uh, in the biological body and then you're never awoken again mm. and whatever awakens in the computer is just is indistinguishable from you but sure. it just doesn't it the, the link isn't there there wasn't a continuous through line mm -hmm. in your experience Right. Uh, I mean, the, these things are well beyond me. But, sure, fair but enough. I've got some other people lined up that we're going to talk about these things. Yeah. Right. So, because yeah, the worry is, I want to know that I'm the person who yeah. survives uh, this uploading process. Yeah. It's kind of like the teleportation problem mm -hmm. in Star Trek, where exactly. you where you're deatomized and the atoms are interpreted, and then at the other end, the atoms are put back together from some store. Uh, uh, using the information that was uploaded at the other end, at, at the beginning, and then so do you. Do you die every time you're teleported? Mm -hmm. In the case of being uploaded to the computer, do you is, is in fact are you killed as you're uploaded, and then and then a version of you that's indistinguishable from the first is awakened for the first time as if right. it was born. I don't know. Yeah. Right, because if it turns out you were dying, if you're going to go to teleportation, then yeah. I, I personally would never want to go teleport myself. Yeah. Uh, whereas if it is the case that I'm just being disassembled and reassembled, yeah. I mean, I hope it's not painful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it works out, then I come out on the other end. Okay, well, then I guess I'll go and do that. Yeah. And so the hope is that if maybe we could somehow upload our consciousness, hopefully it's more like that case where... Yeah. I, the lights go out here in my body, but I find myself uh, waking up on the other end on the computer. What if what if your memories were somehow recorded and re-implanted into, into your newly awakened mind? Uh, I worry about this because I don't think that would be sufficient for identity. Because if you could do this, then it seems like you could do that to me right now. And then, you know, show my, my replica to me and say, like, it's got your memories. And I could start talking to it. Yeah. We have two different perspectives. And when I say yeah. two different perspectives... That's two different people. Yep. Uh, and then I could quite rightly say, screw that guy. I don't know who he is, but he's not me because I'm yep. right here. Uh, yep. So I, I want to say there's just no identity in these cases. Yeah. 
But these are, like you said, these are really complicated matters. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also, I can't remember who discussed this, but the, there's this idea that maybe every time we go to sleep, mm-hmm. we um, that line, that day is done. And you you when you wake up, how do you know that you haven't woken up with a brand new consciousness? Mm-hmm. It just so happens that you have the memories of all the previous consciousnesses. Right. So this is what's called a, like a psychological account of continuity over time. Right. Uh, and so the idea being like, what is me? Well, I'm just a stream of consciousness. So if I happen to engage in what's called dreamless sleep, so like sometimes when you sleep, you don't have any conscious experiences while you're asleep. Well, then that stream, me, ceases to be, and then whatever wakes up on the end, uh, it's similarly related to me in some really interesting ways, but it's not strictly identical to me. It's what's called a gen identity, uh, so to, to emphasize that it's not identical to you, but it's kind of close enough that you can still say it's Ryan. Uh, I, I don't like these views because I want to say I have strict identity from one moment to the next. But right. but yeah, but the, but this is these are popular views amongst a lot of philosophers to say, you're just a uh, streaming consciousness. Yeah. 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 All right. So this is the popcorn round where guests don't know the questions ahead of time. The question can be silly and the answer is more ridiculous. So Jamie, you have to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Faster than one can say pop, pop. Okay. Jamie, are you ready? Uh, no. Okay, alright. <laughs> so, what's, what is the best type of cheese? The cheese that's in my stomach. Mmm, okay. What, yeah. what, what, is that? what was that cheese? Uh, so in general, I don't like blue cheese, mm. I have to say. I like a strong cheese, just not blue. Just not blue cheese, So, okay. there are some very strong cheddars mm-hmm. that uh, come from Norfolk that I quite enjoy. I used to really hate blue cheese. I'm getting more into it now. I don't know, like, I'm not much of a cheese person. Fair enough. Okay, so no American craft uh, American oh, cheese. No. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, question number two. Would you rather have a permanently clogged nose or a piece of green food always stuck in your teeth? Definitely the food in the teeth, mm-hmm, 100%. Mm-hmm. When I have a cold and it's all clogged up in there, I hate that feeling. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate it. Any relief I can get. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but after you sneeze, everything's a bit more relaxed in mm-hmm. there. And if I've got this terrible cold and a sneeze finally comes out, I take that opportunity and get as much air in through my nose as possible. Right. So teeth thing, I don't know, I've grown a beard. I could probably groom it to cover my mouth and, you know, right. I could work around that. That's a good strategy. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like, yeah, I blow my nose. I can relax. Yeah. I've got, uh, you know, but I can't relax while my nose is clogged. But if I got teeth, like something in my teeth. I guess I would, yeah, I'd eventually get relaxed with that, no, no matter what. Yep. And then I can just grow a beard and grow it. Okay, yep. fair enough, fair enough. All right, question number three. What song would you pay money to never hear again? Oh, that one's tough. So, Bella and I, my fiance that is, went mm-hmm. on a holiday to Nice not long after the Daft Punk song came out, the uh, Up All Night to Get Lucky. Oh, yes. And they're they're a French group and I guess there was some French pride there because every bar and cafe that you would walk by, that song would be playing Mm -hmm. and it drove me insane. So, probably that song. Okay, I understand this because I was uh, on a speaking tour actually here in Scotland one time I was living in the States and I stayed in my friend's flat. I was living in her, her spare room one of her flatmates was playing that song on repeat every single morning and i was here in edinburgh for a whole month 
And it was just that song like four or five times every single morning. And it, it really got to me. Yeah. So I did not think of this, but yeah, I probably would pay money to not yep. hear that song again. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then honorable mention for Pharrell's Happy. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number four. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on it and be embarrassed by? Oh, that one's tough. Mm-hmm. I would say Brexit, maybe, mm-hmm. but I think a sufficient number of people are embarrassed now about that. So, right. so that might be, that might not count. Don't know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Question number five: If Nigel Farage offered to take you to dinner, would you accept the invitation? Oh, absolutely, I would. I uh, there are some people in the world that I uh, agree with massively, and some people whose views I don't agree with. That doesn't mean that I necessarily hate the person, mm-hmm. and. Although he might have espoused some ideas that would incite hatred uh, in some people of other people and things like this, I don't doubt that he thinks he's doing the right thing. And so, not that I would ever endorse his views, but that doesn't mean I think the uh, person has done anything necessarily wrong. He hasn't, as far as I'm aware, he mm-hmm. hasn't broken the law. Mm-hmm. And so, I think he would be quite an interesting person to talk to. I, it might not be the most amicable dinner ever, but. I think it would definitely be interesting. It would definitely be an interesting one. And free dinner, so why not? Indeed. Mm -hmm. And he does seem like a good laugh, actually. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, question number six. Do you Instagram your food? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I do have an Instagram account. I got it before it became big. Mm -hmm. So I get some hipster points there. Sure. But um, I, when the filters, the really powerful filters, Mm -hmm. I mean, the ones that would make out like your photos were made on a polaroid camera right uh i took about 10 shots with those really extreme filters of some pretty cliched like shots over edinburgh and things like this this is when uh, this was like 20 2013 or something sure like this, yeah uh when i was a student in edinburgh and i put those up and i haven't touched the account since <laughs> Okay, so you went through a phase of you know using all the Instagram filters, but yep. but no but no Instagram food. So. No, and and mm-hmm. uh, it's worth pointing out, it's landscape shots. So there's mm-hmm. no food in there. Okay, yeah. okay. So more a bit more artistic, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, I I, I mean in, in a kind of teenage angst. Exactly. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So question number seven: If the toilet paper roll is really low but not completely out, do you replace it or do you leave it for someone else? Well, that's I think that's very situational. That's very a situ- that's a very situational problem. Mm. Um, so, if honestly, if I'm in public and um, I don't, I'm not. I know I'm never going to interact with whoever's going to come into the loo next. Mm-hmm. Probably just leave it. Sure. If it's my flatmates or if it's my partner or my family, then I probably would deal with it. You know. So okay. it's a bit of a bit of kind of selective altruism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No. That seems fair. That seems fair. <laughs> All right, so final question. So you mentioned earlier, you know, you have fiancé, you're getting married soon. So in America, there's certain wedding ceremonies that they've introduced this thing called a suggestion box, where guests can offer the bride and groom date ideas or marriage advice. So with your upcoming wedding, are you going to have a suggestion box at your wedding ceremony? Well, we have tried to think of fun things like that, but uh, I don't think we'll have a suggestion box because we like to think we have it down. So... We we are getting married this summer in, in six weeks' time, but we've been together for ten years, and so we, we'd we like to think that we've kind of got it nailed at this point. So uh, I don't think we will have a suggestion No box. suggestion boxes? No, it seems like you've got no. it down. 
Yeah, I think so, yeah. All right, well, thank you very much. Cheers. And that ends the popcorn round. You done a pop pop? <laughs> Disgusting. You done a pop pop? And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes on human nature and life after death. 